and welcome to the Blinkist podcast. I'm Caitlin, and I'm here with Ben. Hello. Hi, Ben. And we are coming to you from Blinkist HQ in Berlin, Germany. And new today, office. New office. Yeah. We got new tables. We got new tables. They're really nice. They're brown. Our old ones were woody. The standard, the standard IKEA wood ones. But you know, things are looking up. New year, almost. New office look and new podcast. We've been meaning to do this for I don't know years, right? At least one. At least one. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should have broken that down into months. At least one year, right? Yeah. yeah. There's twelve months in a year. Um, anyway, today we are here to talk about things that you've heard that might be true, but also might not. In an episode we're calling, is that even a thing? Right. Your, your name. <laughs> your title. My title. I don't have a title for it. I no. like the title. You do or don't? I do. Okay. That's good. I'm glad. We, um, I didn't check to see if Ben was okay with everything in here before we started. <laughs> so we're just going to have an adventure together. Um, so in case you didn't know, Blinkist is an app that condenses great works of nonfiction, like Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman or Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is pretty much the classic of all self-help books. Um, we condense those into 15-minute reads for your mobile device, so your iPhone or your iPad or whatever other iDevice you like to read things on. Um, Blinkist key insight summaries are available probably on that device. And the web, if you decide you want to read it on a computer screen. Right. And we've done like a thousand of them. A thousand. At least a thousand. More now, right? More than a thousand books we've yeah. read. So let's get into it. What do, we, what do we got today? Well, we're going to use some of those thousand books, four of them to be precise, to debunk some truisms that you've heard in the media from your friends and tell you whether or not that is even a thing. Like putting what butter in your coffee. Like putting butter in your coffee. I don't know. Yeah. So that's one of the things we'll talk about. Prove it to me. Prove it. Let's do it. I'm ready. Cool. And also, book doctor. And the book doctor. Yes. A very special segment in which we answer your questions with some knowledge from one of our great nonfiction books. Okay. So the first thing of is that even a thing is about exercise being good for the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is, but I don't really have any evidence for that except my own empirical knowledge that I feel better when I get in a run or something. I don't know. Do you? I, I mean, for sure. I, I'm definitely smarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, <laughs> I can tell when you haven't exercised in a while, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> or, exactly. But, yeah. I guess, but I guess the, the key is that, like, prove it, kind of. Yeah. You, know? you hear about it a lot, but no, I mean, nobody can tell me why? I mean, right. it, it's something people say, I feel refreshed or I feel like I cleared my head out or something. Mm -hmm. But that's not science. No. That's just not. how you feel. It is. And feelings aren't science. Feelings are <laughs> very dubious. Indeed. Anyway, um, so right. So we found, we looked through, we looked through Blinkist a little bit. We found uh, a book that we put out only a couple months ago called Brain Rules by John Medina. And it's kind of a cool book because it explains like how the specific technical things of how our brains actually work, how that might trip us up at various points, and then mm -hmm. how knowing how the brain works, you can use that and be smarter or be better somehow, right? Cool. Um, yeah. And it's not just kind of a productivity book. It's not just kind of a psychology book. It's got a little bit of all that stuff. So, um, right, you called it a user's manual for a savvy brain owner. That was pretty good. Oh, yeah. 
Nice. We could all use one of those, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so the first blink starts at the very beginning. It starts with, like, early humans. Oh, okay. And uh, connects, I don't know, exercise, sort of proves the idea that exercise makes you smarter via evolution, which I think is really, I think that's proof. I think that's cool. All right. Yeah. Hey, so, if Dawkins would approve, let's do it. Yeah. Dawkins. Um, <laughs> Dawkins would approve. And Dawkins so would, would, so would Darwin. Darwin and Dawkins would both approve. All right. So um, the narrator is Amanda. She's Amanda. cool. She's definitely from New York City. Or, or thereabouts. Or thereabouts, as you'll hear. And uh, <laughs> let's do it. All right. Here's blank number one from Brain Rules. Regular exercise stimulates the body to renew itself and generates hormones to help the brain work. Have you ever wondered what a day in the life of a Homo sapiens look like? How our ancestors spent their time directly affected how our own brains have developed. Consider that the average Homo sapiens may have walked or ran from 10 to 20 kilometers per day. This means that our brains didn't develop while we were lazing about, but as we exercised. Exercise allows your body to get more energy out of the food you eat. When you exercise, you increase blood flow to all your body's tissues. And as your blood flow increases, your body also starts to produce new blood vessels, making it even easier for your blood to do its job, such as move vitamins and minerals around and get rid of waste. So when you move your body, not only do you feel better, but you think more effectively too. To better understand what's happening in this process, think about a system of roads. In the early 1800s, an English engineer noticed that traders had a tough time moving supplies over uneven dirt roads. He developed a method to coat roads with layers of rock and gravel to make them more even and thus more reliable. The engineer's idea quickly spread as people realized better roads meant better access to goods in general. You make the same improvements to your body when you exercise, as your blood vessels are essentially your body's roads. Exercise also makes your body's tissues healthier by stimulating the production of certain hormones, such as brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF. One of the brain's most powerful growth hormones, BDNF keeps your neurons refreshed and healthy and increases the connections between neurons. It also stimulates the creation of new cells. So the more you exercise, the healthier and more robust your brain and body will be. So that was cool. That was the first blank of brain rules. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that about the growth hormone. Yeah, and the and the second blink actually right after that in the pack is about sleep and also sort of starts with evolution and how sleep, you would think it's dangerous for us because, or for the early humans, because you're all vulnerable to predators and stuff. But, but that's enough with that book. Um, What's the second what's the second thing of is that even a thing? The second thing from is that even a thing is put butter in your coffee to start your day off uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skeptical. I feel skeptical about this. This thing. But so why would people do that? Why is that even a thing? It's a thing because of the bulletproof diet. So the bulletproof diet was a trendy book that got released, I don't know, I guess it was early 2015. Pretty recent. So you probably saw something about it in the news not too too long ago. Uh, Dave Asprey wrote The Bulletproof Diet, and basically it advocates for a diet that's very high in vegetable fiber and good fats and low in toxins and starch, though why anybody would purposely eat a toxin is beyond me. And again, alcohol, toxin. I guess we willingly take those things into our bodies. 
but anyway, so the liquid cornerstone of the Bulletproof Diet is buttery coffee. To explain what's so great about it, we will play a blink from the Bulletproof Diet, read by, again, Amanda. Caffeine actually has many health benefits. It blocks inflammation to the brain and regulates your insulin sensitivity, which helps in weight loss. What's more, you can intensify these benefits when you drink your morning cup of coffee by adding in some unsalted butter from grass-fed cows. Why would you do that? You get 3.4 times more antioxidants out of your coffee when you switch out your milk for butter. This is because milk has a negative effect on polyphenols, the good antioxidant found in coffee. It makes them less likely to be absorbed. Butter also contains butyric acid, which lowers inflammation and heals your gut. Still not convinced? A study on rats found that coffee combined with a high-fat diet led to decreases in body weight, fat, and liver triglycerides. Another reason to add fat to your coffee is that it helps you reach ketosis, a metabolic state where body burns fat for energy instead of sugar. Some people try to reach ketosis by avoiding carbs, but another trick you can use is to add C8-MCT oil, or medium-chain triglyceride oil, to your coffee. It's made from coconut or palm oil and has 18 times more medium-chain triglycerides than regular coconut oil. Adding butter or MCT oil, or even both, to your coffee will help your body burn more fat as an energy source. The author studied this by experimenting with his own diet. He tested himself the day after eating a sushi dinner with two cups of rice and found that his blood ketone level was 0.1. A ketone level of 0.6 indicates ketosis. After drinking a cup of bulletproof coffee, however, his blood ketone level reached 0.7 within 30 minutes. People on low-carb diets have to restrict their carb intake for three days before they can reach the same level. MCT oil is so strong that it allows you to reach ketosis even after consuming carbs. Be careful, though. Increase your MCT oil intake slowly or you'll risk making yourself sick. Okay. All right, so I guess now we know about butter and coffee. I still probably won't do it. I don't know. I would definitely try it, but I would try it. I've put way worse stuff in my coffee than... Ooh, I'm not going to ask about that. There was a bartender in Vienna that once put, well, unspeakable liquors into the coffee I drink. Ooh. When a liquor is unspeakable, you know it's pretty serious. It was, yeah. All right. That's but... a toxin also. <laughs> like so many things in our modern lives. So moving on to things that are not toxins, uh, but they are also having to do with science <laughs> and diets... And specifically ketosis, which we just heard a little bit about in the last blink, we're going to move on to thing number three. Intermittent fasting is the key to better health. I don't know. It might be. I've known a lot of people who've done this. I personally get way too hangry for this to work for me. Um, and I also am interested in seeing whether or not it could work. We've, I don't know. We have a couple colleagues who do this, actually. Really? Um, at least two. Mysteries. I didn't know this. Yeah. Hmm. One doesn't eat on Tuesdays for most of the day. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I won't ask you about their identity now, being as we, we could potentially be on the air with this one. But um, I'll have to do some investigation here. Yeah. And, and, but they like it, energy-wise. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. At least energy-wise and also health-wise. Huh. 
And that's related to the next thing we're going to listen to, right? Because... Um, right. I mean, health-wise, energy-wise, there's lots of reasons you could do it. Um, there are people who contend that it's actually the more natural way to eat because it more closely mirrors our early human counterparts and how they would eat. They would eat when they had food, and when they didn't, they'd be running it down and looking for it and, you know, sifting through bushes and hoping they'd find it. Right. It's weird, actually, to tie that to the first point. So we're talking now about this feast and famine thing mm -hmm. that earlier humans had feast and famine. Yes. And actually were used to fasting. And then in the first blink, we had the idea of exercise and like the early humans didn't stand around. They no. like slept when they could and hunted and exercised all the time, basically out of necessity, right? Right. Interesting. Evolution yeah. has a way of sneaking into everything, doesn't it? Indeed it does. Yeah. And it goes to show you how very unnatural the way we live now actually is. <laughs> but you know what? I love the internet and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, to look at the point whether fasting is a thing or not and whether intermittent fasting is really great for us, we're going to listen to a blink from Michael Mosley and Mimi Spencer's book, The Fast Diet. Specifically, we chose this blink to listen to because it deals with how fasting not only is good for weight loss and energy, but it actually, I don't know, there's some claim that it could uh, help you limit your possibility of getting certain diseases like diabetes, depression, and actually cancer, the big one. Um, so without any further ado, let's listen to our narrator... Who was it? Tatiana did this one? Tatiana. Tatiana. Who, who actually, after she worked on this book um, and on these blinks, also tried the fast diet. Mm -hmm. So I asked her to actually give us some feedback about how it's going. And I haven't heard back, but maybe she'll jump on a podcast. Cool. Sounds good. We could good. get all the people who had fasted. All right. On a podcast. <laughs> and she, a fasting and, panel. Yeah. And so that's cool. So let's, let's just do it. All right. Let's hear it. Fasting decreases your probability of getting cancer and can potentially prolong your life. Fasting intermittently can be a useful way to keep disease at bay, and scientific evidence to support this claim is growing. An article in the scientific journal Nature states that while much research points to the benefits of fasting, the fundamental mechanisms behind why fasting works are not yet clear. One potential mechanism supporting the benefits of fasting may be the reduction in the amount of the hormone IGF-1, or insulin-like growth factor 1, in your body when you fast. A reduction in this hormone can potentially lead to a decreased likelihood of developing cancer, as well as an extended lifespan. The cells in your body naturally grow and reproduce as you take in energy in the form of food. Yet when you starve or fast, levels of IGF-1, which helps stimulate this growth, drop off, signaling a sort of warning to your body. When this happens, your body abandons its normal grow mode, instead going into repair mode, fixing cell damage and maintaining the status quo. Dr. Walter Longo of the University of Southern California's Longevity Institute explored this with mice that were genetically engineered to not produce IGF-1. He found that mice without IGF-1 lived almost twice as long as mice with IGF-1 and also didn't develop diabetes or cancer. But what about humans? Longo expanded his research to study Ecuadorians with Laron syndrome, a genetic mutation that results in extremely low IGF-1 levels in the body. Interestingly, the individuals with Laron syndrome never developed diabetes or cancer. Longo ruled out environmental factors as an influential variable, as the test case's relatives, who didn't have Laron syndrome, lived in the same village, and some of them did develop cancer. 
Longo's research suggests that while we may need increased levels of IGF-1 when we're young and developing, elevated levels later in life may lead to accelerated aging or even cancer. Okay, so that was the fasting thing. Fasting idea in a nutshell, or one, one approach to why it's healthy. One of the benefits of fasting, yeah. One of the big benefits. I have to say, I find it, I find that argument a little hard because it's just kind of, it's a transitive kind of thing. You know, people who fast um, have a reduction in this IGF-1 hormone. Mm -hmm. People who have lower levels of this IGF-1 hormone have less diabetes and cancer. Mm -hmm. Therefore, people who fast Mm -hmm. more likely have lower chances of getting diabetes and cancer. Right, okay, I see what you mean. And the people we know in the office who've tried this and the people, you know, the other points of the book about um, affecting brain chemistry, having more energy, avoiding inflammation of all kind, I I like all these things and it seems to be um, borne out in the lives of the people we know who've Mm -hmm. who've experimented with fasting. Um, I just think... I th- I think we're still. Do you still, feel like cancer prevention might be kind of a reach? It's just new. I think fast. I think I think fasting is new. And okay. I don't think that like if you fast a little bit, you're never going to get cancer. As we've already talked about, there's just far too many toxins. It's true. The toxins they're <laughs> everywhere. All right, cool. Well, that's I still really like all that. And and now let's go into number four, which also also had some skeptical. We had some skepticism in the content team when we talked about this the other day because. Um, Thomas said, so what is number, let's do this proper. So number number four, four? thing number four is meditation is the best thing that you can do for yourself because it makes you more mindful. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because we're going to find out. Because why? But the, but the skeptical thing was, what did Thomas say? He said, yeah, everyone knows this. Everyone knows this, but why do we know why mindfulness is a good thing? Do we know what exactly it is that makes mindfulness so great and why people are working toward it? Um, we don't, or at least I didn't, um, even though we are working with, and I bet that we both know a lot of people who take this as the truth, you don't necessarily know why mindfulness is great. It's good to slow down. We know all these things, but the thing about mindfulness is that it gives you more choices about how you react to the world. And I found some evidence for this in a book called 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Um, in this book, it discusses how Basically, we tend to react to situations with one of three different um, tactics. And meditation and mindfulness gives us a fourth way to react to the world. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's listen to it. I mean, maybe we'll talk for a little bit afterwards about, like, at one point, Blinkist had somebody coming in trying to teach, like, basics. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, it was really nice. I think it worked when he was there. We tried for a little while to keep up with it, but um, it eventually ebbed off. We were all so busy that we didn't make time for it, which is kind of the anti-point of <laughs> <laughs> meditation. All um, right. Well, yeah. let's let's go into it. Amanda's reading this one again. So... It's blink number five from 10% Happier. All right. Meditation is a simple way to increase mindfulness and compassion in everyday life. In essence, when you meditate, you sit comfortably and focus on your own breath. During this time, your mind will inevitably wander off to other things. That's okay. When this happens, simply refocus your mind on your breathing, without judgment. The nice thing about meditation is that you don't need anything to get started. Anyone can meditate anywhere. 
So meditation is easy, but what's in it for you? Why should you bother? For starters, meditation increases mindfulness by teaching us to view the contents of our mind with non-judgmental distance. According to Buddhist teachings, we have three habitual responses to everything we experience. We want it. Think about that gut-level desire to eat a delicious cookie. We reject it. Imagine swatting at annoying mosquitoes. We zone out. Have you ever listened to a flight attendant's safety instructions all the way through? Mindfulness gives us a fourth option. We observe without judgment. Your first experience with mindfulness during meditation often happens when you experience some sort of uncomfortable situation, like an itchy nose or sore legs. In these cases, you simply observe the pain with impartiality and without reacting or moving. Eventually, you'll be able to apply mindfulness to more complex discomforts, your thoughts and emotions. In addition, meditation increases your compassion. In the month after the author added conscious compassion to his meditation practice, he began seeing changes in his life. He found that he was not only kinder to others, but also to himself. For example, he was better able to avoid gossip at work, became more empathetic toward others, and felt less annoyed by their idiosyncrasies or shortcomings. Okay, did you find yourself more empathetic when um, we were doing mindfulness in the office, meditation? It's interesting. I don't know if I found myself more empathetic towards other people. This is kind of a weird comment, but I tend to have a very outward outward focus and I pay attention to people anyway, but I pay less attention to how I'm actually feeling. I tend to react to the people around me and what they need rather than checking in with myself. And I did find that with meditation, it gave me a minute to actually check in with my body and my thoughts and see what was actually going on. And it's it's actually a tool that I've taken with me, even though I don't meditate every day anymore. Um, I do have more consciousness of the fact that I can check in with myself and see what's happening. So yeah, I guess that, that it's definitely had some some points that stuck. Cool. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's cool. So that was, that was it. That was our first attempt at like trying to use the podcast as a way to give people, kind of bring blinks together in a new way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, and to give you a little bit more background about what kinds of stuff we have in the library and who we are also. Right. We're real people. I'm, I'm Ben. <laughs> I'm Caitlin. What's up? <laughs> and that was the first <laughs> podcast. Um, Not the whole thing. Okay. There's more? We have the book doctor. Oh, right. The book doctor. <laughs> I was really excited about this and the I almost forgot. The, the best, best part. Ah, oh, the book doctor is great. So yeah. should we talk about it? We should talk about it. Okay. The book doctor. Wow. I'm not going to stop this and redo it. I think we should, this, we got to just keep going into Absolutely. the book doctor. The book doctor. Okay. What is the book doctor? This was your idea. This is an excellent idea. <laughs> The book doctor is was sort of based on the old 18th century idea of bibliopathy to fix a person's woes and ills by <laughs> prescribing reading. Um, so we had some of our wonderful Page 19 readers. Page 19, by the way, is Blinkist's digital magazine, of which I am editor and do a lot of the writing. Um, we asked them if they had specific questions about I don't know how to do different things at work and in life. There were there were a lot of self-development kind of questions and uh, career-based questions, but we asked them to ask us questions that we could dive into the blinks to look for answers to and find them um, some explanation and the perfect book to, um, I don't know. Cure their ills. To cure their ills, to cure their bookish ills. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, 
we are basically giving book-based prescriptions in The Book Doctor. They were all great questions. A lot of people wrote in, and we will get to you, all of you, hopefully eventually. Eventually. Some yeah. of them were really hard. Really hard, and we were so impressed. Yeah. They were very high-level, intelligent, seeking questions that we were so honored to, to get. Really good. And also we had from South Africa, we had from Germany, we had from all over America. Southeastern Asia. Yeah, we had, that's amazing. It was amazing, it was. Wow. It all was, right. yeah, it was nice to see that you're out there. All right, cool. So let's, here's a question from somebody called Scott Rostahar. Hey, Scott. Scott, thank you for writing in. Awesome. Yeah, we're glad you did. And What's Scott's um, question? Scott's question is, this is verbatim. He mm-hmm. says, quote, here's my question purposefully vague. What is the best way to sell an idea? Ooh. End quote. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, Scott. <laughs> what did the book doctor have? <laughs> the book doctor gets many such cases, especially around this time of year. And the book doctor is very happy to report that there's a, there's a prescription for this one. Oh. Thank goodness. It's not an incurable strain. It's not incurable. There's something that it's actually a medication or a some sort of Poultice? tonic. Yeah. <laughs> some sort of tonic. Okay. Tell we, me. That we take in the content team almost every day. Oh really? Yeah. Teach me the ways. It's called Made to Stick okay. by, by, oh, right. by the Brothers Heath. The Brothers Heath. Chip, Chip and Dan. Chip, Chip and Dan Heath. Okay. And we are actually all of Blinkus is pretty indebted to this book. Indeed, it, it, it's made a big difference in how we we uh, or the founders thought about making blinks, like making them, you know, in a way that was better than other, you know, attempts at talking about books because uh, of a, of an approach to selling an idea, right? Yeah. Um, so the basic idea is to make ideas sticky. 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 Okay. How do you do that? Um, how is hard. Okay. But I'll tell you what a sticky idea is first. All right. Can okay. I do that? Okay. Yeah. That's fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> I fine. tend to get ahead of myself. So, uh, right. A sticky idea has to be memorable mm-hmm. and people have to want to pass it to other people. Okay. So, um, like all viral ideas are sticky. Indeed. Like law cats. Yes. Okay. I would say mostly okay. the good ones. The good ones. Uh, like the classic example that we always talk about is, um, urban myths. Oh, Those are sticky ideas. Okay. Um, really good advertising slogans can also be sticky, obviously. Mm-hmm. Good newspaper headlines. The Onion is a master at making sticky headlines. Definitely makes people want to share it for sure. And and memorable, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, a sticky idea would be the urban myth that um, unknown villains are sticking razor blades into Halloween candy. Oh God, I got that one when I was little. Right? Yeah. And so somehow it just stays with you forever and you tell other people even though you're not sure why. Mm-hmm. And that's like a classic sticky idea. So, so the best way to sell an idea is to make it sticky. Whether mm-hmm. you want to sell it because it's, you know, advertising or marketing yeah. or whether it's um, just, an, you know, an opinion or... Like we try to sell, quote unquote, sell our ideas of what we find is the best insights of a book, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I'd even go so far as to say that it's a thing you can even use in a job interview. Oh, for sure. You give people specific examples about what you've done that make them want to talk about it or rem- remember it, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, the trick in the book is this acronym called SUCCESS. Oh, okay. S-U-C-C-E-S. Mm-hmm. S. But, Two S's. Yeah, oh. but there's only one S in there. Okay, well, let's just imagine the other S. Okay, so right. so six elements of a sticky idea. Okay. S number one. I'm ready. Here we go. Yes. Simple. Simple. 
like Southwest Airlines slogan from, I don't know if they still use it, but the low fare airline. Okay. Simple, quite sticky in the sense of like... It's desirable. Yeah. You want a low fare for your plane ride. Easy enough. Yeah. Okay. What's two? <clears throat> that would be you. You. For unexpected. Uh-huh. You want to shake people out of autopilot. Okay. I think the razor blades thing is also kind of unexpected. And the idea of like when you think about Halloween candy, you don't think about razor blades. No, not not generally. Right? <laughs> so that also helps it, it's sticky. Also, simple and unexpected, razor blades plus candy, super simple. Mm-hmm. Right? Like all you have to do is picture a Reese's cup with a giant like razor blade oh, sticking out. Oh, I'd really rather not. <laughs> All right, Ben, what's the first C? Tell me, what's number three? Uh, first C, credible. Credible, so, okay. So it has to be, you know, that's sometimes why you see a lot of stats mm-hmm. about making ideas sticky. I think with the Halloween candy idea, most people heard about it from their mom. Mm-hmm. You know, your mom says, like, let me look at the candy first before you eat it mm-hmm. or something. And, and because she's got authority, it's right, credible. it's credible. Okay. The other C is concrete. Mm-hmm. So we do. We try to make all everything in the blinks and page nineteen and everything also as concrete as possible. Right. Um, for example. That's exactly it. For example, we always give examples. Example, right. Yeah, examples are super important, so your brain can latch on to this theory that you've just presented. And it also means not using jargon. Okay. So, for example, uh, you don't say if you're trying to sell an idea of your customer service, you don't say. The retail worker representative delivered outstanding customer service. <laughs> buzz, buzz. Right. You robot. say you say she gave a customer a refund even though he bought the shirt at a different branch. Oh, that is such a relief to my ears. Just like classic. Yeah. Concrete. Okay. Then the Got next it. part of sticky idea. Mm-hmm. Emotional. Mm-hmm. Emotional. Okay. Um, think of those anti-smoking campaigns with the picture of like a burnt out lung on the front or somebody whose life was destroyed by smoking. Mm. You're gonna. It makes the idea a little more sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, from that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then the last S is story. So uh, story is always about that. Yeah. Yeah. And story is the idea of like framing your idea in a classic storyline, like a David versus Goliath kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the classic story in the Halloween candy example is that there's like some bad guy out there trying to kill kids. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's like a Grimm's brothers. Totally. It's, it would be, Yeah. I don't know. I'm surprised that that didn't originate in Germany, that idea. <laughs> <laughs> For all we know, it probably did. All right, cool. All right, so, so that was so, success. So that's that's one prescription. Okay. And that what book was that from again? That is from the Chip and Dan Heath book called Made to Stick. Okay. All right. So I think that that, Ben, wraps it up. We the did end. it. Woo! The end of podcast number one. We hope that you guys enjoyed some of that. Um, I had fun. Did you have fun? Yes. <laughs> Not selling it. I had fun. More enthusiasm. <laughs> that <Yeah>. was fun. <laughs> Great. Well, we both had fun. And if you would like more content like this, there is a place to get it. All of the links to the things that we've talked about today can be found on our digital magazine, which is page 19, page19.com. Uh, we will the number 19. The number 19, right. Page number 19. So, But page. not page N-U-M. Page, <laughs> the number one, the number yes, nine. Yes, with com. numerals. Page19.com. Right. Cool. So we will put up a page there probably very obviously titled like podcast number one. And it will have links to all the books that we discussed today. And it will also have, what else? Links to where you can, where else you can find us on the internet. So our Facebook page, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you can get 
14 free days of Blinkist. Two weeks? Pretty cool. Yeah, two weeks of free Blinkist. Go to Blinkist.com slash friends. Great. Get it, friends. Aw. And put in the word podcast and then sign up or it'll add it to your account. And um, yeah, and then you get two free weeks of reading. So you can check out all of the books that we talked about here today and some others too. Right, but also because this is kind of an experiment podcast uh, and we're kind of testing it out, seeing how it feels, trying mm -hmm. it on. Yeah. Write us, please email us at podcast at .com. Right. It goes directly to Caitlin and my emails, so we can't avoid it. Because we're <laughs> we so good. We will answer you. Out. Right. And we will answer you and we want to hear like what we suck at and what we're good at. So we can we can hopefully make some more of these. Mm -hmm. Um or, you know, change them up if we want to. Yeah, and wishes and hopes, things that you would like to hear about. Topics, uh, different segments that you would like. We do have some ideas about how we would like this to develop in the future, including bringing in some of our authors from the books that Blinkist covers. Yeah, why not? But that will be in the future. Cool. So thanks again. Let's like us on all the things with heart um, icons, <laughs> whether it's uh, f Facebook as a thumb, Twitter has a heart now. No, it now does. They, that's no, it. Twitter has a heart now. They right. eliminated the, the favorite star, I think. Right. SoundCloud would help. SoundCloud would help. Yes. Um, That'll give us an idea of how many of you actually listen to this thing. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, we'd like that. Please do that for us. Thank you. All right. Well, then let's stop now. That's it. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.